Welcome to the Code Life Podcast with me, Nathan Blackaby, and my great mate, Carl Beach. Hello, mate. It's good to be back. It's good to be back, mate. It's been, been a, a while. while. It's been a while. It's now. We've, um, we're starting a new sort of season, aren't we, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit like box sets. Yeah. I think it works. You've got to give it a substantial amount of time between box sets, which is yeah. what we've done. And But not so long that people forget it. No, it's like no, we don't. With Ozark, it was so long between Series 1 and Series 2. You lost I the plot in the middle. The plot. Yeah, Didn't do a good enough catch up either. Nah. You don't get that with Gangs of London, though, do you? <laughs> you don't get it. It's not you do get. Woo wee! That's eye watering, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Have you finished it now? I've finished it. Oh, yeah. Do you think they're going to come back? Is there a Gangs of London? Uh, I'd like to think there could be. I was stunned. <laughs> I mean, it is, we're not going to do any spoilers, no, but it was. First 10 minutes, I thought this series yeah. don't hold back. Oh, yeah. And high budget as well, in terms of the gunfight yeah. choreography. That's Amazing. what I think surprised me. It was like, this, this is good. Yeah. Proper hey, punch-ups. We won't spoil it, but when that tactical hit team went to yeah. that little cottage in yeah. Ireland or whatever, it was, mate, <laughs> that was unreal. <laughs> it was the same, wasn't it? I mean, the close-up with the... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was, yeah. Anyway, worth a watch. Worth um, a watch. If you're, I mean, unless you're yeah, a bit screaming. A disclaimer. Well, it's a 15, isn't it? Or 18? Should be an 18. Should be. Um, so these new podcasts, we mm. thought we'd do... We, we just wanted to stretch it out a bit, so it's not a, it's not rushed. It's this kind of just... We talk a bit deeper on stuff. Yeah. Some are going to go right into detail. Yeah. Yeah. Some will be more ambling conversation. But we just want to... This is a time when we just want to reflect and think a little bit and yeah, choose yeah, stuff yeah. over. Yeah. Get a conversation going on social media yeah. as well, I think. yeah. But we've had a good uh, summer, haven't we? It's, you know, we're back in a new stage now. Autumn, big push. But, um, What's happening? Went away. Well, I, I went to Clacton with the kids. We were to be in Spain. Can I ask, when you, oh yeah, when you, you know all them um, vouchers you want? Yeah. Two and a half thousand vouchers yeah. off Candy Crush. Yeah. They print them, how long, two Mate. questions. Well, how long does it take to print them out? And number two, <laughs> what'd you get for it? So it took... Because it was two and a half thousand vouchers. Yeah, yeah. It took about six minutes to print out. So we're standing by the machine and it's just spitting them out. Do people watching? Yeah. And it, my son was sort of stacking you them up. Do you like top the leaderboard? No, no. It's just hit the jackpot. It hit the jackpot. <laughs> so we Did put... you play it before? I played Candy Crush on my phone, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so you're giving up on uh, PUBG? Yeah, I've not been playing it. It's Candy Crush? Yeah. Okay. Um... But yeah, so we got a rucksack that was probably worth two quid from the pound store. Right. <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, some sweets and like an edge sketch for two and a half thousand tickets. Yeah, but you know they're wildly overvalued, don't they? Right. So how do you how do you get them counted? There's a ticket cruncher and it it swallows all the tickets. So they print the tickets out, then you put the tickets in. Yeah, and it chips them all up, shreds them. Yeah. That's quite, that's a bit North Korean, isn't it? You know, like everyone has a job, like you yeah. see a traffic bloke standing on a junction with no traffic. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit like that, isn't it? Spit yeah. the tickets out, chew the tickets yeah. out. Yeah. 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 So anyway, you went so to anyway, Claxton, we're so going we to go Clacton, to Spain. Yeah, yeah. So Spain was cancelled. Um, yeah, it's a shame because we were about to go and then Boris announced that we have to quarantine coming back from Spain. I'm, I'm going through France on Thursday. I'm going to Germany. Ah. But what they, we phoned up the family, uh, me mate mm. Andrew. But when when you come through France, if you don't stop or let anyone else in your car, you don't have to quarantine. Oh, which really? makes sense if you stay in your closed unit or bubble. So you can, you know, you could pull by the roadside. Yeah. You could 
you top out your fuel. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't interact with anyone. Yeah. That's interesting. Then they don't quarantine you. But I was saying, how do they monitor it? And apparently they don't. I think it's just it's all done on. Oh, right. Self, you self quarantine, don't you? Yeah. But obviously, if you then get accused, they could do an audit trail on. Because someone did get fined, didn't they? Recently in Ireland, got a thousand pound fine. Yeah. That's what but I think what we say is, oh, well, we don't have any don't have any accommodation in France, just in Germany. So you yeah. can. You're going straight through. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Going to the Nürburgring. And now, are you? What are you taking around the Nürburgring? Well, you can hire for 170 euros a Scirocco. The excess is 10 grand. 10 grand. <laughs> yeah. So it might just take. About. Might just go around in in the uh, Discovery. Not my Discovery. You yeah, know, yeah. Discovery. Yeah. I've got the the full back truck. I did think we could take it over and race that round the yeah. track, but you're not insured on the track. That's no, cool. no. You could bin it and then you're done, aren't you? Have you, you got watched to get on YouTube the videos of people spilling out? No, mate. That's one for later when we're having a pre-podcast chat. Mm. Yeah, there's loads of cars losing it on corners. Yeah, but then you, that's it. You're that's done. It. And they're write-offs. You're done. <coughs> Scary, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait. It's an experience. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of nights ago, Thursday night down to Kent. Nice. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but Monday. <coughs> Be nice, that. And you hotel in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Get a backverse get get and a Stein. Yeah, nice. Do I? Yeah. We got to do our thing, mate. We got to go trucking yeah. to do our to filming Poland. in um, yeah. Poland. Yeah. I mean, that's still on. I mean, it's, I've got the dates here. It's, a date yeah, they're in the diary. Yeah, Andrew's put it in. Oh, is that where it says Poland? November. Yeah. I wonder what that was. A week in Poland. <laughs> is it a week? Well, it's seven days because we've got to drive to Auschwitz. Oh, so that's a little sneak peek. There. Oh yeah, fourteenth of November. Yeah, we're doing a road trip, and you remember if you listen, we did a grand tour. We did thirteen hundred miles through England in a nineteen seventies yeah. camper van. We're doing a similar thing, but in Beach's truck, and we're going to Auschwitz, and we're going on a little bit of a a tour, and we're going to do videos, live presenting on the way. It's going to be exciting. We've got loads of stories we want to tell. And we also want to share the experience of going to Auschwitz because you've been, yeah. I haven't. Yeah, I've been, yeah. And we think it's important and it fits in with don't remembrance forget. as well. Don't forget, you yeah, keep remembering. Can't yeah. forget. You forget your peril. So, mate, I thought today, hmm. and we'll talk Edge, CVM in a bit as well, but I thought we could have a conversation about fear. And we've, we've talked a little bit about fear before, but I want to take it on a little bit of a different angle. Cool. So I've got a few books to dig into. Um, the first one is called Mastering Fear, A Navy Seal's Guide. Uh, this is by a bloke called Brandon Webb. Uh, and I just want to read through this sort of snippet. Um, how to master your fear like a Navy Seal. And we'll see if we can pull out, we can glean some lessons here until we think. Three of us are picking through the desert hard scrabble collecting the packs another platoon stashed here earlier when we hear a sound we turn and look up the ravine toward the dirt road where we parked our truck a few minutes ago a crowd of maybe 50 afghan guys standing up there seven or eight yards away looking down at us a crowd of afghan guys with guns a crowd of afghan guys with guns who do not look happy <laughs> It's early 2002, just a few months after 9-11, and we are in northeastern Afghanistan on a search and seizure operation looking for bad guys. We wonder if maybe we just have found them. 
and we may and we wonder if maybe they've just found us and now they're moving closer now they've surrounded us a few have hung back by our truck and there's nothing in the sweet wide world stopping them from climbing in it and driving away leaving us stranded with their with their armed and very frustrated friends i feel something shifting inside certain blood vessels constrict and others dilate my palms suddenly feel cool yet moist with sweat mm. tiny hairs on the back of my arms and neck are standing to attention my mouth is dry my hearing suddenly more acute i can practically feel the release and surge of epinephrine as my adrenals fire off their liquid torpedoes my face doesn't show it but in my mind i smile i know what this is this is fear and i'm about to use it Oh, anyway. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, there's some cool stuff here but I think us having a chat about fear would be quite interesting I'm going to read some more we're going to part of this podcast is to dig deeper into the into the book so back to the book there's no time to assess or strategize this is going down right now the handful by the truck have the high ground always a tactical advantage in any armed conflict and the rest have us immobilized here in the ravine. There are three of us, four or five dozen of them. They outnumber and outgun us in every possible way. Physically, logistically speaking, there is no way for us to prevail here. We'll have to do it through sheer balls and bravado. <laughs> we shout at them. Yell aggressive words we know they don't understand and they scream back words we don't know either. They push closer. Now they're physically shoving us. Our nerve ends are blazing like fireworks. Adrenals and pituitaries lighting up our brain stems and spinal nerves with a buzz of a million years of struggle and survival. The air around us crackles. We shout louder and they don't flinch. We get right up in their faces, as if we were the ones with the upper hand here. We brandish our weapons. If this were a cowboy movie, we would fire shots into the ground at their feet. Only this isn't a movie, and we aren't John Wayne. And we're not messing around here, and they knew it. If we shoot, it won't be into the ground. They stop coming closer, and they start backing off. We hightail our balls and bravado up the ravine and into the truck and back to our camp, our heartbeats gradually returning to normal as we bump along the dirt road. Were you afraid? You bet we were. And that's what saved us. I'm going to come back to it again in a minute. But there's moments in there, there's going to be moments where you, you sense that this, this is fear I'm experiencing right now. What was interesting there was, he, um, whether he did this deliberately in the book or not, mm. he boils it down to a chemical reaction. Mm. Just like oh, I know what that is. That is that chemical reaction. Da, da, da. It, it's it's chemistry. Yeah. It's a chemical reaction yeah. in my head. Yeah. I'll use that. Yeah. So even he's objective. Well, not objectifying is the wrong word. He's um. He, he's not giving into the emotion of it. He's being clinical. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. This is an endorphin. This <clears throat> is adrenaline. Yeah. These are chemical I know reactions. What this is. I have to harness that. Yeah. I recognise yeah. what it is. I get. I can get a grip on it like that. Yeah. See what I mean? See that's interesting. We go. This, the book explores that a bit more. Does it? Yeah. Back to the book. I mean, these are the techniques I use before I go and see my mother in there. <laughs> Harness the fear. <laughs> use it. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Right, so back to the book. 
This is how you master fear as a Navy SEAL. Mm. I thought it was relevant. Uh, you've done this. I know you have. You wouldn't be here reading this if you hadn't. No, you probably have not faced in a group of heavily armed, hostile fighters on foreign soil. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, but, <fair laughs> but at some point in your it's life... A, it's a bit of a, that was a bit... Bit, bit, pretty big boy, yeah, isn't it? Well, he's a Navy SEAL. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, mate, you ain't been down one for market. No, he ain't got a clue. You don't know what he's like. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point in your life, you've faced down threatening people or situations in ways big or small everyone has. Mm. There have been moments when your fear caused you to mobilise, to tap some inner strength or ability and go beyond where you thought you could go. And no doubt, there have also been times when fear made you back down and back out. It's the human condition. Before you read on, I want you to think about this for a moment, to reflect on the events of your life and find examples of both. We can do that, no problem. Times when fear spurred you on to triumph, times when fear dragged you down into defeat. Yeah, we've got those things in our mind. Now, here's the crucial point. He goes on to say, all those battles, the triumphs, the defeats, took place in your mind. So here we go. You may have noticed something about the Afghanistan scenario I described. We never actually used our guns, nor did we throw any punches. We were Navy SEALs as well as trained in the art of science of shooting weapons and using uh, physical force to fight as anyone on the planet, but none of that helped in this situation. There were no tools or technologies, no show of force or fighting skills involved. We did not have the higher ground, we did not have superior numbers, we were not on home turf. We had zero advantage. The only weapon used here was our mastery of fear. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Because I think loads of blokes get undone by fear. Don't know what to do. Yeah. And we can talk about what the situations are that cause fear. Yeah. But the, the battle in your mind to be prepared to know what to do when fear sets in. Back to the book, mastering fear is not about becoming physically stronger or tougher or more macho or more aggressive or more stoic or more pumped up. It's about learning how to identify and change the conversation in your head. He goes to talk about a shark attack and what he says is an electric current running from the shark's eyes to mine and back again. There was this moment where he looked at his shark and was like, I'm not the victim. You've not scared me. He, over, he overcome and he says I see this now all the time in subways in New York as I step into the car I look left and right sizing everyone up when I lock up when I lock eyes with a predator some dude who's up to no good or some street guy's got something not right going on with him he knows I see him and that I'm not letting him into my head that guy's not going to mess with me maybe go on well maybe <laughs> because people on the scale yeah like someone who's deranged, mad, you know, yep. me mental health all over the shop. Won't, won't read those cues. They won't read those cues. They just keep no, coming. They, I think, I mean, I'm yeah, go on. daring me to take on a Navy SEAL. But not having any fear about these things, what I say is, yeah. that's, I think that's slightly overblown because, you know, I've been in situations before there's been physical intimidation. I'm not easily intimidated. Yeah. But but when someone's high or they've lost it, as I found when I was assorted, they don't care about what signals you're sending out. No. No. So it's true to there, a there point. There is always going to be the exception now, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. But... but no, what I'm saying is I don't want anyone to listen to this and think, i just got to get my eyes steely, do, do a bit of blue steel, no, get on a no. tube train and get punched in the face. Well, we're just, we're just reading someone's views. Yeah, so I'm disagreeing with Yeah, yeah, and that's right too. Uh, 
but I, I think and it's very cool though. Well, I think majority of the people you will meet that will work that mindset, yeah, and that ability to look and oh. present that authority. Yeah, and these sort of I've got no fear. I'll yeah. be, or that utter calm serenity is the other one. Yeah. You just don't look like the sort of person yeah. you want to pick on anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well he goes on to say I that. can do that look. No. <laughs> he, back to the book. Yeah, I've studied bouncers at New York bars and the security guards who watch the front door at Macy's. These guys are experts at reading people and putting a stop to trouble before it even starts. Right, I agree with that. 98% of it is the conversation they're having in their heads and it's this, I see you, it says, and there is going to be no trouble here. There are no targets here. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> it is literally some kind of Jedi mind trick, which is what I did that day in the water off the coast of California, staring eye to eye with a big blue shark. You do not want this to go down, my look said, and neither do you, said his, so we both moved on. Do you think the shark actually thought... I think he was probably made it up. I, I don't think Yeah, I don't think I meant. I think the shark probably thought, I oh, ain't a seal. Just looking. He ain't that sort of seal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But yeah, no, I, is there an electric chart? Is it? No. I, I it's think a shark. Can, no. Mate, there was that article the other day when that bloke was obviously fearless about his pet lions. Oh, Did you see yeah. I sent you that? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> there's this article, the bloke, cool. yeah, he's walking his pet lions. <laughs> surprise, surprise, got killed. Because it's a lion. And it don't matter how much you try and tame Stare it. Stare it down. It's a lion. You don't, like, don't want to kill me. No, you don't want to kill me. Like, I, I brought you up. Now, but hang on, but hang on. In a, in oh, a human, so you just went, well, that's a shock, isn't it? Hang on. In a human versus human scenario, I have exercised some of this logic. So I was, we were on a beach in, in a very touristy bit of Brazil. Uh, I clocked this guy straight away. He got I'm going to be telling you yeah, about this, yeah. yeah. So he got off the back yeah. of a motorbike and it, the guy was riding the bike was looking in the mirror and he yeah. moved his mirror to keep an eye. I was on the beach with two little kids, mother-in-law, father-in-law, push chair, all the kit. Yeah. Mum and father-in-law had their phones out, mm. videoing the beach, and you know. So they'd all, they'd spotted them and were coming yeah. to do a snatch and grab. And the guy walked past us two times, turning, turning, looking, looking. And the third time, I could see he had a revolver stuck down the top of his belt yeah. at the front. I saw the handle of it. And he had tactical advantage. I was lowered down. I was on the beach. He was on the road, like path. Didn't know what to do. So I thought, all I can do is stand up and give the impression of, I've seen you. Mm. There's no victim here. Mm. And it might be enough just in that moment to, to deter mm. him. You know, he might think this bloke could be a cop. Or, yeah. you know. And it was. He, we locked eyes. You don't want the asshole. There was a moment where that happened, and I sensed it. I projected, you don't want this. And I felt it from him. No, I, I've told you about South Africa, haven't I? I got yeah. between Cape Town and the waterfront. I got stopped by a couple of kids. Who, yeah. They looked high to me. And they, he said to me, I didn't do it with the eyes, though. Yeah. But it was projection of confidence. Yeah. He said to me, don't force me into a life of violent crime. Give me your stuff. And he, he was palming a knife. Yeah. And um, I looked at him and I thought, you're wired. Like, you're going to hurt me anyway. Mm. Now... Honestly, my heart was in my mouth a bit. Uh, but I just said to him, I just said to him, brother, you, you don't want to try and hurt me. I'll hurt you back. We both get hurt. What's the point? What's the point of us both getting hurt? He just swore me and walked off. Mm -hmm. And that is like, that is the, it's the confidence. Yeah. 
but Arthur's eyes like <laughs> sweating buckets. Yeah, that was pretty close. Yeah, but, you know, but I thought he's just going to stab me anyway. Yeah. So, but I do think there are times when confidence works, but there are other times. You know, I was assorted not so long ago. Yeah. So I've been hobbling around by yeah. a gang, a gang of guys, and that, no matter how firm I was with them, they were high on cocaine. Yeah. Nitrous oxide, drunk. They they weren't going to stop, no. no matter what your look was. No. And sometimes the best. There's been a few of these sort of funny YouTube videos, and the best self defence actually is to run. Oh, absolutely, especially with knives. I remember reading uh, Immediate Action by Andy McNabb. Oh yeah. And you know, it said when they train you in the what he calls jab slapping, you know, the kung fu stuff. Yeah. They train you to be able to do enough so that you can get away. Yeah. You know, attack, get away, don't don't hang around. Yeah. You know, get away. It's yeah. the best self defence. Yeah. You have to fight another day. Mate, or yeah, not it. fight, being man of God, you know. Oh, yeah. But sometimes you find yourself in these situations. But the, the interesting one here is is the mastery of that chemical response. See, but I think that comes through training of being in places of fear to recognise it. Because otherwise when that adrenaline surges the average person will shut down. Yeah, uh, paralysed, yeah. And this this was one, like... And we, no, that's true. We wanted to that's talk... That's how people die. What, yeah, accidents and all sorts. Yeah, I remember reading... Remember Calm. Anders Brevik. You remember this guy who killed loads of kids on that little yeah. island? I was reading something that said there were, there were young people there that were not even moving. He was just shooting them. Because in their heads they couldn't Fires. comprehend that it yeah. was actually happening. There was no narrative prepared in their heads for that situation. And I think encountering fear in our lives, you've got to almost let yourself go there sometimes, don't you? Yeah. And I'm gonna, I want to pick this up as almost a bit of a rites of passage thing in a minute. See what you think. But so this guy goes on. He goes on to talk about the power of thought, and and just to give you this, and then I, I want to. We're going to ground this out in the Bible as well. But um, back to the book. Over the past few years, I've been running a podcast, Power of Thought. My guest list has included World War II fighter pilots, um, a world record-breaking astronaut, legendary musicians, multi-million dollar entrepreneurs, blah, 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 and of course Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and other special operations warriors. In every one of those conversations, I've noticed this core character trait, the ability to see and flip that mental switch. To me, the ability of self-monitor and change your interior dialogue is one of the crucial, most crucial faculties that distinguishes a mature adult human, someone capable of functioning fully in the world. It's what takes you from victim mentality to being proactive, from blaming others to talking about ownership of your situation and taking positive steps to change it. I just thought it was quite interesting because fear can be so incredibly crippling for people. Yet this guy is basically saying there is a switch that can can be switched, and it's that that crucial dialogue that you can have that says, "No, I can, I can take this on." I thought that's pretty cool. So I I've got some other books here. We'll do the rites of passage on in a minute. Ant Middleton. This is quite interesting because this guy this book left off on this idea of the victim mentality. Yeah. And I, I just want to pick pick this up with you, because I'll just read this again. This takes you from the victim mentality to being someone proactive instead of blaming others um, to taking ownership of your situation. So, Ant Middleton, ex-SBS, he wasn't SAS, was he? He was SBS. SBS. 
Uh, he talks about the unfortunate rise of victim culture. And he, he has a bit of a rage against it. It's quite interesting. I just want to read some of this. Um, I find it tragic that the victim mindset is currently spreading throughout Western culture like a psychological pandemic. I have to just warn you, some of this is quite graphic. Uh, people have found a way of making victimhood work for them and are broadcasting their message of complaint and accusation to try and raise themselves up. These people are currently dominating our national conversation. Their world view is that of a young lad above me in Snowden who gave up and climbed down. It's the world view of my older brother. They look at reality and choose to see only dangers. They blame everyone else for the dangers and persuading other people to make special allowances and alter their behaviour to accommodate their wishes. I feel the pressure to conform to today's victim culture all the time and these people don't like the fact that a man like me can be happy, successful and positive in my outlook. I've been to war, I've witnessed absolute horrors, men wailing in shock and agony with their own intestines cradled in their arms. Mm. Eight-year-olds strapped up with explosives and used as suicide bombers. I've picked up a wig in a terrorist encampment only to realise it was a fresh human scalp. I've carried the headless, limbless torso of my fellow marine onto one stretcher and helped stack his severed body parts onto another. I've committed acts of street violence. I've been kicked out of the police force for drink driving. I've taken steroids. I've lost my father. I've been to prison and I've not been damaged by any of it, I absolutely 100% am fine. In fact, I'm more fine and loving life. And yet time and time again, I'm told, but Ant, you can't be fine, you must be damaged, you must be traumatised. I think he probably is to some degree, if we're fair. Yeah, why drink drive? Yeah. There's, exactly. there's some inconsistency. Exactly, yeah. He sounds like he's hurting to me. Yeah, he is. I think he is, mate. Mm. But it... He's covering it up. I, in I can't friend. say it is, but I'm saying it's no, no, no. if I read that from anyone else, I think yeah. it sounds like a hurting man. So he, he had the opportunity to wriggle out of this. He he, he got arrested Did he do the cops on, before? Yeah, he beat cops up. He beat was some that cops before up. he was in the SPS? No, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. No, after, because his mates are saying to him, claim you've got PTSD. And this is the interesting thing. He said, despite this apparent opportunity to wiggle out of trouble, I chose to take responsibility for my actions. Although I was hopeful that the judge wouldn't send me to prison, I was willing to take that risk. When he sent me down for 14 months, I didn't regret my decision for an instant. I wasn't the victim of circumstance. This was my fault. I had made a choice, a bad one, and I would accept the consequences. I quite like that. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's been a man. Yeah. But he... And but he don't, goes, don't put yourself in those positions in the first place. No, no. But that's being a man, yeah, man up. But he, we get criticised for saying that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but this is what was interesting, because mm. he, he's saying the world's telling me I'm, I've got to, I've got to have these problems and these issues, but I haven't. But we would disagree. I think he has got a lot of hurt. In his it life. sounds like it. But what's interesting is he was refusing, and where this book left off, this victim culture, this victim yeah. mentality. We see it everywhere, like, and, and I quite like that. You're not. There is a there is a campaign, unnamed campaign. Mm against being strong yeah there is no you got no no feel your wounds and yeah, yeah. if you say oh, i'm strong or i'm going to fight this with, you know with strong mental health yeah. you actually get criticized for saying yeah, that yeah. Like a lot of people now are saying you know can't you can't be a fighter because you're a fighter 
you're not going to beat Canton. I understand all that. Yeah, yeah. But actually, it's a subtle chipping away yeah. at, at strong mental health. Yeah. If, if you're vulnerable with your mental health, that's good. Yeah. But if you are if you say, actually, I feel pretty robust and together and I'm doing all right and that's the way I'm wired, you get a little bit criticised. You do, you do. It's a bit weird. So, uh, this is interesting. So, we're talking about fear. We're talking about how it counters this kind of victim culture and mentality because you're embracing responsibility and you're yeah. rolling it. You're... You're switching that switch, you're saying, I can control this and mm. I can be trained and prepared for it. I want to ground this out a little bit in the Bible gradually. Yeah, and just think about it as, as Christian men, what it looks like. So this book, um, interesting one, it's called The Wild Man's Journey, Reflections on Male Spirituality. So I can't read it. Richard Rohr and Joseph. Oh, Richard Rohr, yeah. yeah. Controversial figure. Yeah, yeah. And this will be a controversial chapter section that I read here for some. But we'll read it anyway. It's about male initiation. Um, yeah, let me just find the bit I want to read. Uh, so in, in almost all cultures, men are not born, they are made. Much more than women, much more for women. Sorry, much more than for women. Cultures have traditionally demanded puberty and initiation rites for the boys. It is almost as if the biological experiences of menstruation and childbirth are enough wisdom for women, but invariably men, and this is interesting, must be tried, limited, challenged, punished, hazed, circumcised, isolated, starved, stripped and goaded into maturity. The pattern is nearly universal and the only real ex exceptions are the recent secular West, Boy Scouts, confirmation classes, Lions and Elks clubs, I don't know, it's American stuff. Historically, the program was clear. The boy had to be separated from protective feminine energy, led into <laughs> ritual space where newness and maleness could be experienced as holy. The boy had to be ritually wounded and tested and experiencing bonding with other men and loyalty to tribal values. And he goes on and on and on. But interestingly, yeah. there's a bit here, mate, where he says, uh, the contemporary experiences of gangs, gender identity confusion, romanticisation of war, aimless violence, homophobia, will all grow unchecked, I predict, until boys are again mentored and formally taught by wise elders. Yeah, 100% agree. Interesting. That I agree with. You have no effective right of passage in our society. Yeah. And it's drift. Yeah. When am I a man? Who will tell me when I've crossed that threshold? Exactly. And a lot of the stuff that I come across, mm. you know, pastorally with mm. younger guys, is they're they not behaving like men. And I know someone's going to listen to this and say, well, define what man yeah. What oh, do you absolutely. mean, baby? Yeah. Well, there you go. That's yeah. the problem you're going to get. Yeah. You know, then, then you're going to see the problems unfold in society. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think. See, this is interesting. And the reason I brought that up is because I, in a, in a ground it out in a Bible reference, I was reading recently in Samuel, the life of Saul, and then by contrast, the life of David. Yeah. And I think God, I, I think, it's my opinion that God uses fear, moments of fear, and we're talking about men to men, we are men, I think God uses fear in the lives of men to, to break away some of those veneers and layers and sort of put you and allow you to be in places of testing where your fear is whether it's anxiety or fear of failure, fear of getting it wrong, fear of whatever, fear of man. I think God uses those places in those times to really hone something in us. No, that's right. 
you've got, to have, you've got to have the, the seasons of walking and wading yeah. through rubble, yeah. mess, pain, yeah. stuff yeah. falling apart. Build stuff, falls yeah. apart, build again, yeah. confront your failure. Yeah. And, you know, people people sometimes see what we're doing. They think, oh, it's all right for you guys standing out the front. But they don't see the years of failure and pain, the, the hidden things have gone on in our yeah. lives that we yeah. know about. And yeah. And Absolutely. Destroy fruit. God's used it, isn't he, to refine us. Yeah. So here's what I wanted to say uh, in terms of Bible and grounding it out and yeah. coming to an end. Um, I, uh, so in reading the, the story of Saul, it kept on coming out that I felt he, he was a bloke who was living with fear. Yeah. He, he, he had fear of man, he had fear of his troops at certain yeah. points, he let yeah. them get away with stuff God told him not to do. He would often go back to Samuel because he couldn't make up his mind, he didn't know what to do, he didn't know how to seek God for himself. And I think he was a man who was afraid of a lot of stuff. Right. Whereas when David came on the scene, David's sort of initial baptism on the scene, if you like, was Goliath. Right. Uh, an act of complete courage and fearlessness in the face of what would be quite a scary situation. Yeah. I mean, that bloke was huge. Bread killer. He was out there taunting, wasn't he, and just giving it some. And David, like, fearless, like, I'm getting out there. And the thing that struck me, and I hadn't seen it before, we know the story, David and Goliath cuts his head off, hits him in the face with a stone, and the victory's done. At the end of 1 Samuel 17, says this, When David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with the Philistine's head still in his hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. And that was back in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. So he carried that head. <laughs> now, let's assume it was in a sack or a bag, whatever. For you by their hair. But that's a victory. That's a trophy. That, yeah, yeah, he visibly carried it. Yeah. He went in to Saul and was almost, it, for me, it was like saying, you were afraid of this. That's what you were afraid of. And I thought that was amazing. Also, can I just see that? Seven, end of 17. Yeah. It's a lovely feeling, by the Yes, mate. A good mate of mine gave me that. Yeah, Goat skin. CSB. Oh. Flex fold. This, I think he also did it, right? This, this first 45. Yeah. Can I just say, I yeah. bought myself, I couldn't, I, I missed a CSB so much, I bought myself <laughs> one, but I got the. Do you regret giving me that, Bob? No, well, I got the fake leather one. <laughs> Not the goat skin. No, couldn't find it anywhere. Anyway, um, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, yeah, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And it is his whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, so the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. I'm going to chop your head off, and I'm going to carry it all the way back to Jerusalem. That is a, that is a declaration against fear. Oh. Yeah. He's a decoration for everyone else to melt away in fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This young little kid who can't put your arm on, I will strike you down and cut off your head and I'm going to carry that head back and I'm going to dump it on Saul's lap. Feed your body to the birds. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. Then the I whole world it. will know there's a God in heaven. Yeah. God did it through him. <laughs> yeah, like, Smashed it. you notice what he doesn't say? Yeah. Then all the world will know that Israel is a God because the Alpha calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's interesting. I'll chop off your head. <laughs> But that is a massive, he, said, he carried that head, boy by the hair, all the way back. Yeah. Look, look, look. Have no fear. Have no fear. Head as well. Have no fear. Yeah. Well, God is with you. It's good, isn't it? 
So we live without fear, mate. Well, not without fear, but we not harness without fear, it. We harness it and master the fear. I'm not afraid of much, though, actually. No. I mean, death by shark. I wouldn't like that. Bad boy to go. Yeah, bad. I processed a lot of this stuff. I mean, you know, I've had a few incidents over the years. I think I'm afraid of losing my family. Mm. Not afraid of it. I mean, that would be... Mm. You're not trembling, worrying at night. No, no that much keeps me up. No, no. I did worry about that water leak, though. I thought there was a sinkhole under my house. That's quite a lot of water. That's a lot of water. I was losing two wheelie bins an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair old amount. That's a lot of water. It's going under my house. Yeah, it does footings in, that does, mate. Yeah, washes the clay away. Anyway. So, let's wrap it up. How's things at Edge? Tell us what's going on. Well, just on a bit of time out at the moment, because um, mm. uh, I just moved out to Staveley, mm. Ingersoll. Um, so we're hoping to put our headquarters there. But actually, we've seen, it's funny, really, during this lockdown, a lot of inquiries coming in. Yeah. So we're actually looking at establishing the edge centres all over the UK, but also I've got this new bit between the two about edge communities. Yeah. Trying to reform church that works for working people. Yeah. Um, almost like a new wave monastic community fused with a bit of early Salvation Army Methodism. Yeah, yeah it's going to kick butt. Yeah, we're really it's excited about it. So yeah, so we're going to we're going to role model that locally. So that's good. See if you're going well, mate. Yeah, yeah, going well, mate. Yeah, we're trying to get more stuff online. And don't forget, Sunday Night Live kicks off 20th of September. We're back for the next 10 weeks. And this podcast is available on the second week of every month. So we're trying to make them a bit more in-depth. And we are going to do it at some point. We're going to do a two-hour special, aren't we, mate? Oh, yeah. We could easily do that. <laughs> I might, might do a character, character study on some, obviously like some like Chesty Puller or something like that. Yeah. No. There are some great characters. There's some great characters out there. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks, mate.